Hello, my fine friends. Thank you for choosing my podcast to listen to. We're powered by ACAS Plus. You can join uh, ACAS Plus if you want to get lots of bonuses. Google Rahalastapa and ACAS Plus and you'll get right there. There's lots of fun stuff to get. Um, Rahalastapa tour is nearly over. 21st of March, I'm at Bedford Corn Exchange. I'm talking to Olaf Falafel, who's a very funny children's author and stand-up comedian, and Al Murray, the pub landlord and historian man. And a friend of mine, uh, it should be fantastic, who went to Bedford, went to school in Bedford. It should be amazing. There's plenty of tickets left for that one. Uh, Glasgow on the 27th and Hull on the 28th. They're both sold out, but do keep checking the sites for returns. And uh, occasionally we put some comps back on sale, so there may be a chance to buy tickets. The main thing, though, is that I am going to be on tour doing stand-up, and I would love you to come. Uh, it's uh, from... It starts officially in May, but so uh, there's a few tryouts in April and March. So I'm at the Bill Murray. I'm at um, various places, Luton Hat Factory and uh, the Berry Hedge End. I don't even know where that is before going into a big tour where I'm going all over the place. It's selling in various degrees. Glasgow sold out. They've added an extra date. Uh, Chorley sold out, joined the waiting list. Uh, but a lot of the others have plenty of tickets. So... Do go and come to see that. richardherring.com slash ballback slash tour for all those tour dates. richardherring.com slash Rahalastapa for the remaining Rahalastapa dates. And uh, yeah, and then I'm going to take a little break from doing Rahalastapas. It'll be nice. We've got loads in the bank. Uh, so I hope you're enjoying them. I think there's some very high quality ones from this tour. Uh, so do keep listening. Do keep telling your friends. richardherring.com for all your Richard Herring needs. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy another Rahalastapa. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one of a kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Clapham Grand. Please welcome a man who has one fan in Angola. It's Richard Herring. Thank you very much. Hello, Clapham. Hello. Oh, lovely to see you. Thank you so much for coming along. Uh, welcome to Richard Herring's Loose Spiders and Tarantulas podcast. Uh, you've got to come up with a new... There's so many podcasts, aren't you? You've got to come up with a new idea. What we've done is we've released spiders and tarantulas, which is a kind of spider, but into the audience. And a few, about 10% of the audience will die tonight. Well, that's, they're all aware of that. They all signed a release form. And if you, if you come out of this alive... You each win a check for ten thousand pounds. That's that's the new podcast. <laughs> Worth the risk, I think. Though I was um, hanging out with Logan Paul and Floyd Mayweather <laughs> the other day. This was topical at the time of recording. 
And uh, after 20 minutes of staring at each other intensely and lightly kissing, <laughs> one of them broke off finally. They, uh, he said, and he said they called it Relastopa. That's what they call it. <laughs> Not bad, is it? Those guys, they, they made uh, 50 to 100 million dollars each for that. Fight. I'm wondering if I can get some fights going with some other podcasters. How I'd, I'd take a million. I'd fight Frank Bruno for twenty thousand pounds. <laughs> I'll give it a go. Um, rowing machine update. Last week, if you're here last week, you'll know that I had a rowing machine that I owned for a week, but hadn't got out of the box yet. It's out of the box. It's out of the box. Uh, it's, I've put it together myself, and I've been on it two times. That is. That's £425 a go so far, or £850 an hour. <laughs> we'll, see. we'll see how that goes, see how that carries on. Oh yeah, I've, um, uh, I had a bath before uh, the show, that's just the kind of guy I am, I'm clean. Um, and some water got in my ear and didn't come out of my ear, so I can't actually hear anything, which is literally something that happened to Alan Partridge. That's how... <laughs> So I can't hear anything, so don't even try heckling. I don't really listen to the guests' answers anyway, you know that. But today will be definitely the case, so I won't be able to do that. Um, and oh, I'll t- yeah, I'll talk about this, as I mentioned at the start. I've found the analytics thing on the Acast uh, Creators app, which tells me where my listeners are, who they are, what they are, uh, and where, where they're listening. Uh, 74% of people who listen to this podcast on Acast are men, which I was surprisingly low to say. Uh, it doesn't say how many of them work in IT, but I'm assuming 99%. 99%, there's an IT guy clapping there. Um, yeah, Angola. One da- in the last month, one download in Angola. That's not even one per- That's one person has downloaded one episode. And then gone, nah, this is not for me. Won't listen to any more. Uh, most, 80% of my listeners are in the UK, which is very bad for my world tour. Uh, credentials. Uh, the United States comes next, and Australia nearly there's 18,000 people, in, uh, well 8,000 downloads, not enough to tour either of those countries um, the other end is that the zeros are very much everything that would get zero in pointless I, I was sad to say nobody listens to this show in the Vatican City which <laughs> that means the Pope doesn't, unless he's got one of those things where he can change the location that means the Pope doesn't listen, and I'm really fucked off about it. I thought he would listen. I've got 954 downloads in South Korea. Not bad. And uh, zero in North Korea. I don't know what's going on there. I don't know why. I love South Korea. They're the best. Um, that's terrific. Oh, and look, I, um, I was back in uh, Cheddar. I ran around, I ran around Cheddar Reservoir uh, this week, which is something I've done a lot of times, but I'm increasingly thinking, I wonder how many times I will run around Cheddar Reservoir. Um, but I'm back running, I'm back trying to get fit, uh, and I've signed up to do a half marathon in November at, at Nebworth. Uh, I just, it's near to where I live. Uh, then someone I said that, they said, you know, that's a very, very hilly half marathon, so that was probably foolish. Uh, so uh, it, as a gratitude to the people who uh, removed my testicle, I don't know why I'm grateful to them. <laughs> I've decided to run that for uh, the, the, the Lister Hospital and the uh, Mount Vernon uh, uh, cancer Centre. So if you would like to sponsor me, go to justgiving.com slash monoball and um, <laughs> we'll try and raise some money uh, for... for to, uh, cancer made a mistake in choosing me. 
I'm a powerful enemy of cancer. I'm going to get the best cancer. No one else in Harvardshire is going to get cancer now. And cancer will be going, why did I go after that? His ball looks so tasty. I just couldn't resist it. And now, look, cancer's been wiped out in North Hertfordshire as a result. If you don't like me and, uh, and think the list hospital was wrong to save me, just go in and smash up a scanner or something. That's the, so it's fair, you know, you can all make your choices. But uh, thank you very much to everyone who's donated already. And I'll, and I'll let you know how the half marathon goes. Ironically, I think it will probably kill me to do a half marathon. But I, loved, and I, I love an ironic death. And if I die, then it'll go, like, be a million pounds, won't it? When you die on a marathon, they, you really raise some funds, don't you? That's the thing. <laughs> so I'll be thinking that as I, as I collapse on a hill in Nebworth. <laughs> Why have I chosen that hill to die on? I'll be thinking. Uh, so... Just, I'm, no, I'm just full of jokes, Alan. That was amazing. Just can't stop. Just made that up on the top of my head. Uh, my guest this week uh, was just in the toilet. Hopefully he's back and ready to go. Otherwise, this is going to be awkward. <coughs> Excuse me. He is probably best known. Uh, this is the most offensive one of these I've ever done, as it is a very recent credit. <laughs> he's probably best known, isn't he, as the host of Beat the Internet. We all watched that, didn't we? We loved that show. We all loved that. Beat the internet. Will you please welcome John Robbins, ladies and gentlemen. Here he is, Beat the Internet. He's from there. It's the guy from Beat the Internet. Beat the Internet. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. For the, uh, for the avoidance of doubt, the full title is Beat the Internet with John Robbins. <laughs> Or as we shortened it to BTIWJR. <laughs> Is there another series of Beat the Internet with John Robbins in the pipeline? Well, Richard, mm. when you work as a TV commissioner and you know you've got something pretty special on your hands, yeah. sometimes it's nice to just wait. <laughs> yeah. Maybe forever. <laughs> um, and just hold on to it a bit like Bitcoin. Yeah in the hope that the price of the format, Beat the Internet with John Robbins, will become so expensive that you can then sell it to America for a billion pounds. Yeah, that could happen. And that, that might happen. That might happen. It was mismanaged. It was mismanaged. It was a hubristic title for a TV. It's like, this TV show is going to beat the internet. We'll show the internet. It is a, a hubristic title for a TV show with a budget of approximately £12. <laughs> But the people who uh, worked on it have become lifelong friends. <laughs> good. In, in that I got a text from one of them two months ago. <laughs> okay, good. It's Sorry, good. I brought my own cans. It's all right. It's nice to see a guest, you know, relaxed enough to, to drink a few beers. Well, do you know what? I, um, I just... I got your message about doing this, and I thought, I'm just going to have a lovely time. I'm going to have a good. few cans. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that. I then Googled the beers available at the venue and with the greatest respect to one of London's most prestigious venues, the, uh, I mean, the selection is absolute dog shit. Um, <laughs> but that's the only downside of the venue. I'm sorry. Corona, Bud and Bud Zero. Are you high? <laughs> Goose Island IPA, which is their only non-lager, is 5.9%, which is essentially meth. <laughs> What have you gone for? It looks like quite a funky... It's an IPA. Well, well, this is the problem, Richard. I went to Sainsbury's, uh, and they've got neck oil, 
which is one of my favourite beers, but, and do be warned, it goes through me like a freight train. That's okay. I was actually, uh, I was looking back out because uh, David Baddiel's on next week, and so I, was pre- I prepare early for these shows, uh, and he actually went for a wee in the middle of his last appearance on... Uh, Did he? Yeah, he, I'd forgotten, but <laughs> there's a very good resource for this podcast called rahalaspa.com, and it, someone's gone through, actually, I, sh- I should know her name, Catherine, uh, and I've forgotten her surname for the moment, uh, she'll be in the credits, uh, she has gone through and, and made a list of all the emergency questions, all the different the cool kids, all that sort of stuff, and any notable things that happen in the podcast. Amazing. So I'm able to go back and look at that so I don't have to listen through to <laughs> them, which is a relief. David Bedell went, went to the toilet during... I mean, off stage. It wasn't like he didn't just... <laughs> he's getting pretty old, but I don't, <laughs> don't think he's yet going to just piss himself on stage. But you could be the first... Openly on stage. Right, look, hey, it's hey. I'd like to thank you for uh, this. is about episode three hundred and thirty-six, but on episode three hundred, uh, you were, took my job and you uh, you hosted. It must have been a big honour for you. I don't know if I got. It to w- talk to- well, do you know? It actually was a huge honour to partake in Jura Hustelapa. Yeah. L A L A T B M Jura Um No, I was I was very honoured. I, I mean, I still I. St- Richard, I still get a buzz when I see that you've texted me because <laughs> I used to quote Simon Quinlack in the playground. <laughs> Some of the people here are too young to know what that is. Yeah. But, and, uh, and then they said, you're 28 years old, John Gow, the playground. <laughs> That's good because that was actually quoting to woman Joe at the same time. They don't know what it was. Yes, Ah. <laughs> They're too young to know what it was. They haven't even shouted to Womanja back at me. That's how, that's how oh young this... Oh, my God. That's how young this audience... I've got a very young audience. In fact, the, uh, the average age... Near 44% of people who listen to this podcast, I haven't got it written down, are in the age 35 to 44, which is... Are you in that yet? Are you 35? Yes, yeah. I'm 39. So you're in the... Yeah, you're bang in the middle of my uh, main demographic. Any good at IT? And it, no, absolutely no. appalling okay. at anything to do with that. But okay. it gives me a lot of anxiety, yeah. sort of the world of information, because <laughs> uh, I don't really know how to control it. Yeah, it is scary. Uh, did you see this, um, is it like Logan Paul fighting uh, the Floyd Mayweather? I read about it on the BBC News website. Yeah. I, I don't know who Logan Paul is. Well, he's a very successful YouTuber, which you are as well a very successful YouTuber. So, uh, you, yes, you one were day. bragging to me backstage about the huge amounts you make from advertising on YouTube. Yeah, well, me and Alex Horn <laughs> every week play golf together for a yeah. purse of $60 billion. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's my sort of only real foray into YouTube. Yeah. Uh, I had a YouTube channel that I sort of started when I was starting comedy, when everyone was doing it and uploading all of their sort of sets. Uh, but on retrospect, when I look back at them, I realised they were all awful and incredibly embarrassing. <laughs> uh, so I just sort of... I spend quite a lot of time deleting my online self <laughs> because it causes so much shame. Yeah. Um, sometimes you don't have the rights to delete yourself, uh, so you just have to sort of accept the shame. Yes. But I think you've got enough profile. I mean, if you, I think, you know, basically, Logan Paul's a YouTuber. He fought, he fought another YouTuber to begin with. I want to say KSI is called. Am I, am I right, kid? I'm very, I'm down with the kids, aren't I? I know all about the YouTubers. They've had two fights. The first one was a draw, and then I think KSI won the second one. But Logan Paul goes on to fight. 
he fought Floyd Mayweather, who's a proper boxer. Um, who and the, he, the, the boxer Floyd has made fifty to a hundred million dollars. Fuck me! From one fight. But then I guess it's the power of... I guess lockdown showed a lot of comedians this. is the power of realising you have a fan base yeah. and you can circumvent traditional gatekeepers, if yes. I can be so bold. Yes, you can. <laughs> so maybe me and Ellis should kick the shit out of each other. Yeah. Well, I think, or you could fight the off-menu. You two fight the off-menu guys. I think that would be big. People would pay to see James Acaster being punched in the face by John Robbins. <laughs> Who would win that? Yeah, but I've got a horrible feeling Acaster's, like, got a rage mode. <laughs> yeah. Like, me and Ed, you, you, sure, you look at our physiques and say, A, we're pretty much the same physique-wise. <laughs> uh, B, we're probably the stronger pair. But I think Ellis is more of, a, like, a grappler. And I think Acaster would just sort of throw some kind of... He, he would, like, a special move that you would get on Street Fighter. <laughs> yeah. Where Acaster would, like, turn into flames... And I think he would win. Yeah, maybe. But the thing is, see, I think if you did it, I think you'd probably make a... I think you could make a million pounds. Do you really? I think you could if you, if you hiked it up, if you stared at each other for a lot of time too close to each other just beforehand, something like that. You just have a little gimmick. But the problem is that wasn't there... About ten years ago, didn't, didn't Ricky Gervais have a boxing match that was sort of quite a... It was just sort of quite a bleak affair. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know Bob Morton was involved. Yeah. Bob Morton had to fight. He talked about it on his podcast. Who was it? So you've all listened to that one recently. Who did he have to fight? It was Les Dennis. It was Les Dennis versus Bob Mortimer. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like a dream was, someone had. Was it Ricky Gervais against um, Anthea Turner's husband? Grant Bofi. <laughs> well, I don't think they're still together because I watched the final ever... I'm, I, I retract this if it's not true. Okay. I watched the final ever performance of We Will Rock You the Musical, yeah. sat next to Turner, who was with the breathy New Zealand one from Dragon's Den, okay. who I think they were maybe dating at the time, and they talked throughout the whole thing, and I was right. absolutely <laughs> livid. I really hope that uh, she was just having an affair and you've just outed her. But that, that we just. Well, Dragon Bovey's just eating his little chocolate bar that he likes. He likes that chocolate bar, doesn't he? That milk chocolate bar they had at the wedding, he loves it. He's just, oh, Richard, listen to Alistair Love. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I, have, if I have unintentionally outed Anthea, yeah. then I think that's fair recompense for talking through one of the, <laughs> the greatest artistic triumphs of the last 500 years. <laughs> I never saw We Will Rock You. I had um, uh, Nigel Planer on uh, in the Did series. Did you? Earlier. Yes. And we didn't talk about We Will Rock You. For Probably fear. wise. Is that isn't his contract? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was more fearful I would say something rude to him, and I was, I was, you know, I was being very charming to him. Um, but yeah, he that's that was his best time. I don't think he was. Was he in the final one of it? Yeah. I don't think he was in the final one. No. He was. I also saw the first performance of We Will Rock You, the yeah. musical. So I sort of caught the. It was quite lucky in a sense I saw the first one and the last one um, the first one I sat behind May himself did you, did you see every single <laughs> performance <laughs> I saw the first one and the last one and the 10,000 in between um, no just no. the two so You're I behind saw the, May I, was, I sat behind May on the first one May was on stage on the last one okay. and I briefly said hello that was the first time I ever met him was after that and my uh, the guy who uh, 
runs the company that do my tours afterwards said, you want to call me Brian? <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, yes, please. He's like, Brian, come over here. This is John, he's a big fan. I said, Brian, you signed my guild copy of your guitar backstage at the Colson Hall in Bristol in 1998. <laughs> and then I just realised I'd stated a fact. I hadn't actually sort of said, I like you or who I am. I just said, and he said, oh, great. And we had a photo and I just went home. Aww. Good times. That's nice. What did you think of the film Bohemian Rhapsody? I, I saw it as an early rough cut oh, before they'd done all the CGI in Wembley. Okay. So on the Wembley scenes, they'd got like Rami Malek and the band. But when you looked out at the audience, it was a completely white background with little stick figures waving because <laughs> they'd yet to apply the CGI. But I, I, the, the moment that film started, the hairs on my neck just stood on end and I had goosebumps for two and a half hours and I watched it again when it came out and then there was a lot of sort of some negative press and some sort of memes about the editing. And I just thought, I'm not going to see it ever again because I want to remember that moment when sort of something that's been so special to me suddenly is being seen by everyone. And so I haven't seen it since. Okay. And I, I think Rami's performance is exceptional. I think, um, I think it's a, I think it's a brilliant piece of feel-good work that perhaps dodges a few <laughs> more interesting moments, but then what do you yeah. expect? You know, the band are making it and they want as many people to see it. I thought some of the criticism I read about... I heard, overheard a conversation on a tube train, a couple of people who were reading about it in the paper... And they said, basically, they were having a conversation that said, oh, they've not, they've sort of made Freddie less outrageous and gay. Like, they've de, they've de, they've sanitized it. But the thrust of their conversation was that, because, you know, it was his lifestyle, that, that that's why he died. He died because of his lifestyle. They're trying to hide that. Which is such an offensive criticism to say that, Basically saying that anyone has ever been guilty of getting HIV yeah. or dying of AIDS, that in some way you are morally responsible for that. <laughs> yeah. Was like, you know, no one who's caught COVID has caught it on purpose. Um, there's also, you know, it's a PG-12 film. You yeah. know, if he was straight, you wouldn't show him having full <laughs> sex with an erect penis. You know, you can't... Well, they, they, didn't, show a, they didn't show him having full sex... <laughs> Well, of course, of course, you fucking idiot. I'd rather see Brian May having full sex with an Ian well, Dobson. Each, each to their own. Yeah, that's what I'd like to watch. I'd like to see it right now. Like, not even in the past. I'd like to see him. Right I, I think now. this conversation is getting into a territory where I, <laughs> I, I would, I might need to text you after the show. Okay. <laughs> Do you think it's weird that Brian May went out with someone who had the same hair as him? That, doesn't that put you off the Queen? I, I mean, I guess if you like Queen, nothing could put you off Queen because the music would have done it already if you, right, if you had any taste. Now we're in... <laughs> now we're in... 
we're in Stuart Lee territory. <laughs> uh, I think you've let yourself down there. What's wrong with people liking amazing music that brings nations together? That's the 26% of female <laughs> listeners getting behind that. I would have thought, actually, probably high percentage of queen. But IT, queen, male, that's probably my, that's probably my listenership. That's, that's fair enough. Um, hey, you're in the Beano. Well, how did you get in the Beano? I saw you were in the Beano. Because off menu were in the Beano and we got annoyed. <laughs> No, we spoke to, we had an unsung, so on our radio show on Fridays on Five Live, we have a segment called Unsung Hero, where we speak to people who sort of perhaps don't get the recognition they deserve, and we spoke to an artist who illustrates the Beano, and I think uh, it came as a result of that. Oh, okay. Was that exciting? Did you read the Beano as a child? No. No. I always get, I did, but I get confused between, the, the dandy and the Beano merge into one, and I don't know which characters were in which one. The dandy was not as good as the Beano, I'm going to go that far, but... I read uh, a magazine called Quiz Kids. Oh, yeah. And I was a member of the Quiz Kids Club, yeah. uh, for which you got a Velcro wallet. Okay. Um, uh, and that's, that's really all I'm willing to say on <laughs> the issue. I liked uh, Wizard and Chips, and my, my grandma, she would send all of my my brother and sister and me they enrolled up a magazine every month or every two weeks or whatever it was I had Wizard and Chips I can't remember what my brother and sister had Wizz on Chips Wizzer and Chips oh right there was a there was a comic called Wizzer and there was a comic called Chips and then they decided to bring the two together for Wizzer and Chips it's there quite was a hard snake to say, in isn't it. it there was a there was a guy who had a black eye all the time that might have been Chips might have been Wizzer who remembers Wizard and Chips? It's a good one for um, cool kids. I'll remember that for future episodes. <laughs> no, well, that was that's what I like. It's nice to be in there. You know, be no nice to be in there. Yeah, yeah, really, yeah, really yeah, sweet. And chips. I will, I will treasure the at message that uh, alerted me to it for the rest of my life. Okay, I'm gonna. I've got some new emergency questions. This one isn't finished, but I quite like it. Okay, as it is. And I th- you'll see. Would you rather be able to fart the Blockbusters theme tune? I'm not far off, to be honest. Okay. Especially after this neck oil. Or... I did one that sounded like the last post. <laughs> did you? Well, you don't need. You might want the other option. So, would you rather be able to fart the Blockbusters theme tune or own a cat? Oh, own a cat! <laughs> I think there was going to be more to it. I think there's oh. going to be own a cat that can do something. But I quite like. Would you rather be able to? F- yeah. Like, that isn't just a choice you can make. I'd love to own a cat. Well, you can, you can do it. You just get one. But I live by a road, and I would... Uh, and I'm away, but I maybe I will just... I would You can just get a little feeding thing. Like, my cat... The one, I've got two cats from Battersea, dog and cat's home. Um, they were brother and sister. They'd been overbred, and uh, the, the black one died about the age of three because she was been overbred in a... Organs collapsed. It's oh, very sad. God. I saw the. It's the only. I think my. I think that was. She was called Lino, after the uh, Thundercats. I'm too sad about it. Uh, I think it's dying. the only. I think it's the only creature I've witnessed the actual definite death of. Yeah, I witnessed the death and, of my uh, cat and one being run over on the A4 oh, after no, a diversion. Bad. Oh my God! But you see the light. I remember the light going out in her eyes. Do you? Yeah. 
Uh, it's quite exciting, oh, and I understand why serial killers get into it. <laughs> That's often how it starts in it for serial killers. They see a cat, someone injects it. I think if I had a if I had a cat, I would just love it too much, and my heart would break into a thousand tiny pieces when yeah. it died. Well, they do die. I know. Um, the other one's still alive, Smithers. He's the stupidest cat that's ever lived. He's like nine, ten years old now. It's incredible. Uh, he would used to jump out of second floor windows without seeing what was underneath. <laughs> um, and I thought he'd been killed because my neighbour came around and said, I think your cat's been run over. And then I came out the back gate and I could see his paw under the gate. And I thought, oh, and I've always pretended I hate the cat. And, I was, and my wife was out and she loves it. And uh, I, I felt really sad. Then I opened the door or the gate and then he just jumped up and ran in. And he'd just been sleeping. He was covered in leaves and stuff. He looked like he'd been run over. <laughs> he, just, he got out, but he doesn't go out of the house. So you can, you can do it. He doesn't leave the house usually. He goes in the garden a bit now. Um, I've just lost my glasses. Hold on. Oh. So I own a cat. What do you think a good end to that sentence would be? Uh, it needs to be more jeopardy in that question. No, I think it's a, funnier, it's a funnier answer. It is. I'm going to leave it like that one. I'm writing a new book of emergency questions. That's going to be in there. Would you rather... This is an interesting question, John. Would you rather be a horse chestnut tree or an apple tree? <laughs> <laughs> Which kind of tree would you rather be? I'd rather be an apple tree because horse chestnut trees, certainly in the 80s and 90s, got an awful lot of sort of violent attacks to try and loosen... The, the conkers. Yeah. So I'd rather be an apple tree and be in the background of uh, perhaps an episode of Inside the Factory where Greg Wallace and Cherry Green? Cherry Healy and uh, Dr. Ruth Goodman um, uh, research how factories make cider. Okay. It's, Do it's you think a, tr- a tree gets hurt if someone throws a stick at it? I don't think it feels the pain, does it? Surely it would... Does a tree enough. get hurt if someone throws a stick at it there is a in a wood ex- yeah. that no one sees or hears? There's a Tales of the Unexpected, um, again, probably slightly before your time, where someone can hear trees screaming as they're cut down. That's right? the BFG. Can hear uh, ladybirds and plants screaming. Oh, okay. It's quite an odd, <laughs> kind of bleak... <laughs> idea this yeah. guy is just sort of, like if dr doolittle was real yeah. he would just be absolutely terrorized by animals going why <laughs> get me out of here it hurts i'm so sad all the time where are my children i'm going to be murdered um someone should make that as like a dystopian <laughs> dr doolittle <laughs> man who goes insane listening to the terror of animals that we um, inflict on them yeah. slash the odd cat being quite happy. <laughs> yeah. I'm not dead, Richard. Um, I wasn't dead, I was just lying No, down. I'd rather be an apple tree and I would like my bounty to uh, turn into cider. Okay. As long as it's not old moot cider, because I think that's rubbish. Okay. Why do we need to import cider from New Zealand? Sorry, that's not a political statement. I just like... <laughs> Brexit, one of the best of cider-producing countries in the world. And you go to a bar and they're like, what cider have you got? We've got oh, black currant and lime old moot. Why? <laughs> um, all right. Sorry. One more emergency question. Because I've got a lot of proper questions to ask you. I just want to try something. Oh, no, I was gonna, I'm going to change my mind. It's a new one. Would you rather have to always wash your clothes in a dishwasher or always wash your plates, pans, cups, etc. in a washing machine? 
NB, you'd, ha- you'd have to use the dishwasher capsules in the dishwasher and the laundry tablets in the washing machine. You can still use the dishwasher for dishes if you choose to wash your clothes in the dishwasher. Uh, and you can wash your clothes in the washing machine if you do your dishes there. So, I think we might be into a bit of a no-brainer here. <laughs> really? Because... Because I'm a dishwasher slash washing machine analyst. Yeah, that's why I thought you'd like this. So what would happen... It, it, obviously, if you put your plates in the, the washing machine, they're all going to break. Well, let's say they don't. <laughs> you could put your clothes... So it's a magic <laughs> washing machine. <laughs> if, you put your, if you put your clothes in there as well, there's a chance they'll survive. Like when you wash shirts with a towel. Um, no, I think we have to assume that the washing machine is going to break all of your plates and cut them. <laughs> Well, you wouldn't break your cutlery. Don't it would you break the washing machine. Don't you think your pants and socks will break the dishwasher? No. Okay. Because they would be static. So what, would happen, what I would do is I would put the clothes in the dishwasher on eco, which on my dishwasher is 50 degrees. That's 180 minutes, that cycle. Then I would put them in the washing machine with just an extra rinse. They can't I think go it would wash- work. They can't go into the washing machine. If you, if you make that choice... You can still do your dishes in the dishwasher, but the, you can only do your clothes in the dishwasher. You can't. Well, I would have that over dishes in the washing machine. Okay. The only the problem you're looking at here is I'm going to need to invest in a tumble dryer, which I don't currently own. <laughs> okay. Bit of a bone of contention between me and my fiance. She says get a tumble dryer. I say there's no room. She says you've got a beer fridge. You could use that space. Oh. Um. But trouble the, the, in paradise. The, Doesn't sound like it's going to work out, does it? The clothes would be sodden. Yeah. They wouldn't be even. They wouldn't be even damp. They would be sodden. Yeah. So you'd have to wring them out. But that would be the least worst option. What if you got plastic plates and cups? You could get a whole cocky. It would. Uh, okay. Plastic plates and cups. They're still going to wear down over time. Yeah. But well, everything wears down over time. That's true. Uh, I break a lot of stuff in the dishwasher, I have to say. I break a lot. Most of my breakages of things occur. How are you... Whoa, whoa, whoa. How are you loading a dishwasher? Well, I dro- if you drop a knife or something into the... You know, you pick up a knife off the... T- I've got my knife... They lay, they lay flat on the top shelf. No, 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 and no, And sometimes no, they no, slip no, no, through no, no, and they no, no. fall Get yourself one of the little baskets. Well, okay, it's, a, it's a small dishwasher. I've only got a small dishwasher. Why have you only got a small dishwasher? I don't You've know. Got I've got, kids. There, there, there was only room for a small dishwasher in the space, the, the dishwasher space. Hmm... It's very annoying. I have to put my bit... If we have, like, dinner plates, I get two of them in it, but only if they're right at the edge. Fuck that. And I can lay them down, but then that takes a lot of time. I used to be jealous of you. I'm not after that. (laughs) I think a lot about dishwashers, I have to say. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So, you're turning into quite a boring middle-aged man. <laughs> <laughs> I've noticed. <laughs> yeah, go on. <laughs> well, you're sort of obsessed with golf. I had listened to you on your your radio show talking about golf for t- 20 minutes, I would say. It was this in week. answer to a listener's email. Yeah. Also, Richard, let me give you a little glimpse <laughs> behind the magician's cloth. On the BBC, you are not allowed to plug enterprises that outside of the BBC. Okay. That means that Ellis James, who is the BBC's lapdog, and who will create, present, and write a very good documentary about Welsh football for the BBC every year, <laughs> is able to talk about that on our show a lot. However, my projects are far more varied. You know, an internet-based quiz show on Digital Channel Dave, now <laughs> defunct, um, a YouTube golfing channel, a, a, a show in development again with Dave. <laughs> it's very broad church. Yeah. So in order to pass the editorial guidelines of Auntie, uh, you have, there are certain ways you can talk about what you're doing in your life without it being, uh, I think the phrase is undue prominence. (laughs) So, an email about golf is an absolute goldmine for me to be able to mention that I have a golf YouTube channel without pissing off the Queen. (laughs) But you also have a golf YouTube channel, which again is part of my problem with you. Um, Like, I mean, who wants to watch a comedian playing sport? against another person. That is my question. Nobody wants to watch that. It's ridiculous. You call, it's called bad golf. You're both pretty good at golf. Oh, we, when we started, we were really bad. I'm now better. Alex is still really bad. The first <laughs> round back after lockdown, we, we played and he, he, his first ball went into the water and then he lost a ball a hole for the next six holes. That's as bad as you can get. He ran out of balls. Well, that's, it's still not bad enough for me. If I came on that show, I would be properly bad at golf. Well, you can come on the oh, show. come on and I'll show you what bad golf yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll show you what bad snooker is. <laughs> I'll show you what bad golf is. Um, it's, no, it's in, it's in, you've got 40,000 subscribers. You're the highest handicapped player to have a sponsorship deal with, is it with Puma. Well, I don't, it's not a financial deal. It's just no. they, they give us the clubs and the clothes and stuff, which is very, very kind of them. And it just makes you feel great because... Like, they say, oh, we've got a new range of clubs out. Do you want to come and get fitted? And you're like, oh, this is what it's like being, I don't know, Bryson DeChambeau or Tiger yeah. Woods or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I'm obsessed with it because it's, it's exercise and statistics. Okay. And that's why I love it. But, yeah, in answer to your original question, very, very boring. Yeah. Well, it's what my mum and dad, you know, I associate golf with my mum and dad. And who are now too old. I think my mum could probably still... But golf is it. trying to change that. Is it? Yeah, golf is much cooler now than it was 20 years ago. It is, Richard. It really is. Have you seen Ricky Fowler? He's got a little moustache. From EastEnders? No. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, yeah, it might be. So, uh, Ricky Fowler is super cool. Okay. And, uh, Tiger and, Woods crashing his car. That was pretty good. Did crash maybe his that car. made golf Very more high exciting. Speed. Didn't it? Well, Tiger Woods has always made golf more exciting. Yeah, he's sleeping with women and stuff. He's had a lot of sexual relationships. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty good. Cool. Actually, I'm going to give it a go. If it's having extramarital affairs and then breaking your legs in a car crash, I'm in. Yeah. Is he going to be all well, right? I guess he's sort of the Hunter S. Thompson of golf in a mad way. He has. Um, and you are engaged. Congratulations. Are you slightly hoping it'll go wrong so you can get another show out of that? Or is it sort of fingers crossed? Um, no. No. Okay. No. Um, I, uh, I'm just hoping it goes really well for the rest of my life. Wow. Okay. And then I sort of die aged 80 under a blossoming apple tree uh, whilst listening to Astral Weeks. I kind of got it mapped out. Okay. Um, but no, I'm, I'm so, so happy. That's, that's a good sign. It's a bad sign when you go into it thinking, ah, I'll give it a couple of years, see how it goes. Well, we've been together now for four years, and I tell you something, when, when you finally realise... People often say, all I want is for you to be happy, or all I want them to be happy, and what they actually mean is, what I want is for you to be happy on my terms. Yeah. <laughs> So I want you to be happy whilst doing what I want us to do. Um, but actually, I just want... I, I, there's nothing I wouldn't do to make her happy because her happiness gives me so much pleasure, even if that was her sort of... You know, if she said, I want to move, move to Scotland for oh. the rest of my life well, and see that, once a that. year, okay. that, I, that would just fill me so much joy because she's such a wonderful person that I... I genuinely want her to be happy on her terms. And sometimes when you have friends in relationships and they're like, oh, I've got to go to this fucking wedding next week and I don't know anyone there. And I'm like, why? And we're like, because he or she wants me to go. And it's like, well, that's not fun for anyone. You're being dragged to a wedding you don't want to go to. Why not just go, you go and do something you want to do and I'll do something I want to do and then we'll meet after and we'll talk about the nice things we've done as opposed to people constantly feeling they have to do stuff they don't want to do. Okay. So that's, kind of, I guess, kind of a, a foundation on which our relationship is based. That sounds nice. I did a gig for your fiancé's parents, your uh, parents-in-law. Uh, I've heard about that. <laughs> <laughs> they talked about it to you or have I told you? No, um, my fiance's dad mentioned the gig to me, and then I saw an interview with you when you were asked about your worst ever gig. <laughs> yeah. I put two and two together. Oh dear. Well, look, we won't talk about it anymore. Out of respect to your mother and father-in-law, I won't. I won't go into it any further. Out of respect for you, I won't tell their side <laughs> of the story. I tell you what. I sat next to. Um, Oh, what's the uh, Elaine Stritch? And talked to her for quite a long time at dinner. And then she said oh, she was going to go before I did my stand-up. And, uh, and she seemed to have gone. And then I did, the, I did 10 minutes of Talking Cock and Elton John didn't like it. It was a weird gig. <laughs> so no one liked it because Elton John didn't like it. And then a waiter came up to me afterwards and said, Elaine Stritch actually stayed to watch the show, watch you do your set. And she stood in the doorway going, oh, God. <laughs> you tell me that <laughs> right get this you know how um, 
all comedy critics are of a certain ilk. Can we yes. say that? Yes. I was at the. I was asked to do present the the award the year after I won with Steve uh, with Steve Coogan. Sure. And I wasn't going to do it because I felt very strange about going back to Edinburgh. But when they said Steve Coogan's doing it, will you come to Edinburgh? We'll put you up in a hotel. I was like, of course I will. And it was it was honestly such a big moment for me. More probably than winning the award the year before, the fact that me and Steve Coogan were in a little green room having a drink and about to present the award to the next year's winner. Anyway, the year after that, I'm at the ceremony, just stood in the audience, and a comedy critic comes up, he sees me from across the other side of a crowded room, this bit, like, rammed with people. He sees me, he goes, like, waves, oh, cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha. So takes him about a minute to get through, and he's sort of um, walking through everyone, going, John, 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 John. He eventually gets to me. I'm like, oh, hey, how you, how you doing? He goes, I, 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 I've had to tell you this for a year. I've had to tell you this for a year. Um, you know last year when, 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 you, when you were presenting the award with, with Steve Coogan? I was like, yeah. And, and he said, well, I was, I was backstage, and uh, Steve asked you, uh, were you going to do any material? And you said... No, not really. I'm just going to say a few words and then I'll bring you on and we'll do the award. Anyway, you went on and you... Do you remember you sort of did a speech, didn't you? And I went, yeah, I, I did a sort of two, three-minute speech. You went, yeah, yeah, well, amazing. Steve was backstage going, the cunt! The fucking cunt! He said he wasn't going to do any fucking material. Peace, fuck me, man! Lying piece of shit! Anyway, it's so good to see you, John. I just had to tell you that. What are you meant? What is wrong with you? Like, you've just ruined everything. <laughs> and you made out when you sort of caught my eye from across the room. You had a fun anecdote to tell me. Like, are you thick? And I'm sure that if I had the roles had been reversed and someone was doing really well at a thing, they were about to bring me out and go, bloody hell, he's doing really well and I'm going to have to follow this or whatever. That's fine. That's what comedians are like. But I cannot understand the personality of someone who thinks, it's a year later and I've got my great anecdote that's going to crush his only dream. Yeah, it's nice. So, I want to ask you this question, and I hope I haven't asked you this before. Are you ever mistaken for John Robbins, the mayor of Dover, an MP from the 1560s? No. No. But I do get added in to a few news stories from John Robbins, who is the uh, chief of the Yorkshire Police Force. Okay, there is a... Because all the John Robbins I've found are dead, and there's quite a lot... There's the, are you ever mistaken for the English ranter and plebeian prophet from the 1650s? No, but I've got his pamphlet. <laughs> I got it off Amazon. Yeah. He was a ranter and um, <laughs> thought he was Christ yeah. and made people lay palm leaves wherever he went uh, before I believe being incarcerated. Yes. Very much like all the John Robbins that uh, go through that stage. Are you ever mistaken for John Robbins, the mayor of Stafford, an MP from the 1750s? There's a, there's a John Robbins comes along every hundred years. A no. famous John Robbins. I am sometimes mistaken for Stuart Goldsmith. Are you? Okay. 
including by mis- people who have been on Stuart Goldsmith's podcast. <laughs> Are you ever mistaken for the Canadian academic and humorist John Robbins who died in 1952? Not to date, no. Okay. Are you ever mistaken for the rugby union Welsh international John Robbins who died in 2007? There's some crossover. No, no, I haven't. Has Ellis ever mentioned it? He's never mentioned that. No. Do you know what? He's not really a rugby guy. He really is a football guy. Ellis, he's, he, I mean, he's a, obviously very aware of Welsh rugby culture, but he's, 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 he would argue till he is red in the teeth um, that uh, Wales is, uh, football is well, Wales' is national sport. Okay, he's wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I don't say rugby. that to him. I say, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. So let, give, give, him, give him to ring me and I'll tell him. Okay. Next time he says it, I'll say, mate, it's rugby. It's definitely rugby. Definitely rugby. Um, uh, you do Cameo, right? I'm quite interested in Cameo. You're, you're on Cameo. You're still on Cameo? Yes. Um, and how do you... I mean, I've talked this to a few people about this because I'm kind of interested... So if you don't know what Cameo is, you can, if you want, you can make John Robbins do anything you want, including sexual acts. <laughs> as long as they're filmed, if you pay enough money, he'll do a message, he'll do anything you want for £43.50. It's not much, is it? It's pretty, it's pretty reasonable. That is very cheap. How did you arrive at... Is that, was that testing? You went up to 44, went, ooh, bit... No, a lot of people were being put well, off by the ticket it's, price. It's an interesting it question. Does. It's one of the most boring answers you'll ever hear. <laughs> okay, I'd like to hear it. So cameo transactions happen in US dollars. Oh, OK. So I've set a figure at which... I think it's reasonable for me to do a video after Cameo's cut and the sort of transaction fees. However, because the dollar is getting stronger against the pound, I have to increase that in order to maintain my GBP minimum. (sighs) But I think it's more an American thing is like, how much do you charge on Cameo is almost like a sort of status thing, whereas I think actually what, what, what is really great about Cameo is doing as many videos as possible because it's really nice to be able to interact with people. And also, you know, I, I started doing it in January when I was worried my job didn't exist anymore and I was in quite a dark place. <laughs> and it's given me an ability to interact with people every day and almost treat them like little sort of two or three minute comparing moments. Mm-hmm. So it sort of kept my, my head in the game. But also people absolutely love them because most cameos are like sort of 20 seconds of someone holding a camera. <laughs> like if, people earning an awful lot of money holding a camera when you think, get a tripod for a start, <laughs> find, find, a, find a good angle, find a nice part of your room and they'll sort of say, you know, hello... Here, it's your birthday. Um, Thank you so much for liking my film or whatever. I wish you all the best, blah, blah, blah. And it's over. Whereas I do sort of slightly longer ones where I get to sort of interact with the information that they give. But in in all seriousness, it was a real boon to the old Bont's health. Sure. When in January I was like, I don't know who you are anymore. Okay. Because you sit in your living room talking into a microphone twice a week and outside of that there's fuck all you do sure. what do you do because you're not getting any of the feedback from people sure was there a moment before you started that you thought has it come to this for me 
for me, well, do, you know what? do you know what? I was like a lot of comics. I think this is a real comics trait that you look at someone who's doing something you're not and you're like, oh, fuck him. <laughs> fucking idiot doing that shit thing like an absolute cunt. And then you do it and you're like, yeah, this is really good. <laughs> um, but it was Alistair Green doing yeah. it. Because he did it, I thought that sort of legitimizes it. And you watch his videos and they are as funny as the videos he puts on, sure. on Instagram. And I think it's like anything. If, you're, if you create a good product, no matter what it is you're doing, and people want it, you can't really criticize that. And you'd watch Alistair Green's, you know, cameos. And you think, I would pay a hundred quid to have that. And he's <laughs> like quite cheap. Yeah. Well, not cheap, but certainly on the spectrum, when you see that there's American, there's some American people charge like $500. And you think, but that's amazing. That would make my day. That would make my friend's birthday. So why not? I mean, I'm sort of, you know, I was talking to May Martin about it, and I think we both agreed that there's a part of you that would quite like to do it. But, but you'd be brilliant on it. I know, but I think I'd do nothing. And I would feel I'd done enough. But if you do do it, please use my referral code. Okay. <laughs> okay so anyone listening to this, get in touch. I've got a referral code. Me, Casa, Sue, Casa. Let's all make a lot of money. I think, but I do them um, for... And again, I said this on the May Martin one, and it, 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 nothing happens, so it's fine. If people email me, I just do them for free. For, and say, and say um, you know, give some money to charity. But you can do cameos for charity. I know, but why not? But then, you, if you do that, then you're doing a full-time job for charity if you're encouraging people to do it. So it's, you know, it's a difficult balance. There's a part of me, you know, all the fucking stupid ventriloquist dummies could make a killing, couldn't they? You'd love that, wouldn't you? <laughs> Pay thousands to have a, a phallic carrot tell you to fuck off, wouldn't you? Bill Bailey does them now. Does he? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so there's some... Some there's... really... Paul Foote does them. Great value. Jay from The Inbetweeners makes £200,000 a year. He is our god. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would just... I'm just about to make sure... Oh, fucking hell, man. We've gone on for ages already. It's so much fun. It's so much fun being rude to you. Um... And, you know, being, it's, it works two ways. It goes both. Well, look, you're doing, well, you're doing loads of podcasts. You're doing almost as much many online things as me. Maybe, maybe more. So you've got... I was listening to the Moon Underwater podcast yeah. before the show, which is about getting people to create their ideal pub. Yeah, it's like Desert Island Discs for, for pubs. Yeah. So me and my best friend Robin, who I've known since I was 14, um, he's the regular and I'm the landlord... And we welcome a guest every week into our mythical pub, which both does and doesn't exist, like all pubs. <laughs> because most pubs are pubs of the mind. Um, and the pubs that we go to just disappoint us because they don't match up to our pubs of the mind. I, I'm beginning to realise that a lot of people don't see pubs in the same way that we do. Um, but I will sometimes, if I'm doing a gig and I know there's a pub nearby even though I can't drink before a gig, I will detour to just sit, let the pub reveal itself as I turn the corner. <laughs> because I think pubs have that sort of mythical quality for me that they represent an escape to a further realm. Um, not all of them, obviously. Some of them are just horrible. Um, <laughs> so we, we run The Moon Underwater, which is taken from the title of George Orwell's essay, George Orwell's essay about the perfect pub. And the guest can stock the bar 
choose what goes on the jukebox. They can ban something. And it's really great. And, like, it's nice to do a podcast where we're sort of totally in charge of it. We've got such a great team in our production company who do the five live show, Audio Always. So it's quite, there's a lot of ambient music and it sort of elements of sort of, you know, like, do you remember Blue Jam? Yes. Where it's sort of, every so often you're thinking, oh, this is a bit different than just a podcast where people are chatting. Um, and Robin's a fantastic musician and he does all the jingles and stuff. And it's just, you know, it's, it's like a ludicrous to call it work because it's so much fun. Um, also doing the Queen Pod, yeah, which is a track by track analysis of every single Queen album. Great, I'm definitely going to listen to all of that. <laughs> <laughs> is it, I mean, does it work if you haven't listened to any of the songs? I mean, I, can I enjoy it as a surreal, without knowing the songs, or do you ruin it by playing some of the songs? In we the pod- play clips of the songs. Uh, we've that got, ruins it. So we're very lucky in that we've got the rights to all of. Queen's music so we can play the songs. That is lucky to have the rights to it. Do you own the rights to all of Queen's music? That is very Unfortunately lucky. not. They're sort of, okay. they've, they've been, they've <laughs> yeah. been lent to us. Okay. Um, but it would be make quite an interesting Richard Herring styled challenge to listen to all 5,000 hours <laughs> of a track by track analysis of every Queen song. A sort of consecutive Queen song spotting. Yeah. Shall I do a podcast of me listening to that? <laughs> But don't play the listeners to your podcast, the podcast that you're listening to. It's just your commentary. I'm doing it. <laughs> and you do that. How, how do you cope podcast? Is that the, you won a bronze Sony award, basically. Was that for how do you cope? Was that one, did that win the proper award? That won an award, didn't it? No, so... That was the five live show. Hang on. No, we, the five live show won a gold aria. Right. Slash, formerly known as the Sonys. Then the next year, we won a bronze. Yeah, bronze is best. Bronze is best. Um, also, I was very critical of their bar as well oh, yeah. on the stage. So I think I've sort of <laughs> may have burnt my bridges with the Arias, formerly known as the Sonys. I'm, I'm going to start a petition to stop awards changing their names. Yeah. Because I keep winning them after they've stopped being recognisable. Yeah. So, winner of the Edinburgh Comedy Award, formerly the Perrier, and the Arias, formerly the Sony Awards. It's too big of a mouthful, Richard. Um, But How Do You Cope has been nominated for a a British Podcast Award, which we're really, really pleased about, because that is a... um, That's sort of a different side to the Ellison John coin. And what a coin it is. It is, what a coin. Um, But where we interview just prominent people about uh, difficult periods in their life so it's sort of i guess under the broad banner of mental health but it's not in inverted commas a mental health podcast you know it is um (laughs) but it's more about people giving a very subjective account and i think that that connects with people and you've done a hundred episodes now of the five live show yes which because in the hundredth episode you discuss uh how you were received after one episode by five live listeners the regular five live listeners yeah. Uh, who did not predict you would get to 100 episodes. Two giggling, self-absorbed twerps spouting <laughs> incomprehensible garbage. Yeah. That was, the, I think, the first tweet, the first text we ever got in. Yeah. Well, there's a nice clip of uh, the first episode where some, the, 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 the lady's going to read out your tweets and she says, I don't think you want to hear <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> that was our producer, Jess. Yeah, we said, are there any tweets coming in? Like, stalling for time. And she was like, uh, yeah. I uh, probably don't want to read them, though. <laughs> but it does, like... Ours is a silly show, and we're silly people, and we, it doesn't really bother us. A few have got to me, but having previously had a lot of experience with the kind of abuse female comics get on a daily basis sure. that is of a very, very violent and sexual nature, someone saying you're crud... <laughs> Like a guy in his 70s called Keith saying, this is a load of crud. You, you can't really... That, can't, that, that has to be water off a duck's back yeah. when you know people who every day on Twitter are told they're going to be raped. Yes. So it doesn't bother us. Um, sorry, I've forgotten all my But also, was. you've got to episode 100, so, you know, it's sort of proven its worth. I mean, that's got to be satisfying that... You know, that, that's, that's happened. But, you know, that also, every new show is going to get that sort of stuff anyway. Yeah, but I, I think... Sorry, what was the question you asked? I think I've gone mad. I think I was, the question was, have you gone mad? <laughs> and if so, would you remember what the question was? I don't know if I was, I was I, just talking but about I think, the Hunter's episode. So, A, it's, not, it's, uh, it's never that bad stuff. No. So it kind, it's kind of quite easy to laugh at. Um, but B, people have a very, very personal relationship with their radio stations in a mad way. Yeah. And you don't really think about it until you either are a big radio fan and something changes or you're on radio. In that, If you listen to one radio station all the time and every time you wake up in the morning to make a cup of tea, you turn it on, and when you go to bed, it's on, and when you're driving, it's on. When that changes, it's like, what the, f- what the fuck? <laughs> this might... Friend, gone. <laughs> They've sacked my friend. Yeah, but people eventually get used to it. But I think the BBC, unlike a commercial station, they can't suddenly, they can't rebrand. Like, so XFM basically cleared house and did a whole new thing. And this is Radio X. And people went apeshit, but it died down after a couple of weeks. Whereas yeah. BBC can't really do that because they're. You know, we trust them so much and they're so much part of our lives that you have to sort of change things slightly incrementally. But now we get messages from people saying, which is, you know, damning with faint praise, but they sort of text in and go, oh, when I first heard this, I thought it was a load of shit and you're a couple of absolute <laughs> fucking idiots. But, yeah, I quite like it now. <laughs> and so do you think you're going to go back? You haven't done a stand-up show since before the lockdown. Obviously, in a lockdown, probably was part of the reason that, but are you going to go back and do another stand-up show next year or are you going to carry on with the online and radio? Um, I'm sort of struggling with that question a bit because I feel most satisfied and alive and stimulated when I'm writing a new stand-up show, but the point up until that begins, I feel like I'm probably rubbish at it and if I do it, it'll be crap and everyone will sort of point at me. And because, I mean, I've probably done 10 gigs in the last two years, year and a half. I feel so distant from it that all the anxiety builds up and all the sort of fear and self-doubt that I would get if I went on a holiday for two weeks and then had a gig. Yeah. So you times that by 52. But I will definitely do another stand-up show and I will definitely do another Edinburgh and I will definitely do another tour. But at the minute... I spent so much of lockdown trying to work out what I could do that didn't require an audience. Yeah. That those sort of 
fingers in pies are either coming to fruition or being politely declined. Sure. But they're now ready to kick on and everyone's going oh we're, the gigs are back the gigs are back and I'm like yeah I know and I'm fucking terrified <laughs> whereas so many other people are like oh it's so great to be back I'm so excited um, but I'm doing a few for a friend called Will who runs amazing gigs and is great fun and books really nice people and the, just the thing I miss most is just being around other comics backstage and making each other laugh and I uh, did a gig recently with um Bridget Christie and uh, a few others and it was just so nice to be in a dressing room being silly and sharing our own insecurities and our experiences of lockdown Um, and Lou Sanders was there and Phil Wang and Josh Widdicombe and all those people that I've just missed and I'm honoured to know and feel quite lucky to be able to hang around with. I almost feel like I'm the audience member who's snuck back in to the tent and sure. it's like, oh my God. So to be around those sorts of people is a real um, privilege. So yeah, I'll definitely I mean, I think do a tour it's, again. It is interesting because I think coming out of it, we were talking about this backstage, but there's this sort of bump of coming out of it because we've all you know, put up with what we've had to put up with and kind of coped with it and then suddenly coming out of it and experiencing life again. I've really noticed this with the kids and being able to take the kids to see their grandparents and go to parties and stuff, that actually you're suddenly reminded of everything you've lost and that, you know, it's actually... that I've coped quite well through lockdown and actually coming out of lockdown, I'm thinking, oh, this is, this is quite a big deal and, oh, my God, you know, we've had 18 months where we haven't had any of this stuff and that's kind of... You know, I think it's going to hit a lot of people retrospectively, but... I also think we will, there'll be a bump and then it'll, it'll, things will get back to normal, I hope. Yeah, I also don't, I, I don't know about you, but I've, I found the second lockdown harder than the first one. Yeah. Because the first one was kind of like, wow, this is new and kind of awful, but also exciting and scary and we get updates every day on the telly and what the hell is going on. And then the second lockdown, I, that was, I felt really, really down. Mm. And I didn't really know where everything was going for me. Whereas I think the first lockdown was kind of a national one. Whereas the second lockdown was just sort of like 60 million existential crises going on. Um, Because we'd all found ways of getting through the first one. I mean, I was very lucky because I live alone. So my my lockdown (laughs) was like essentially like any other day. I just couldn't. What couldn't I do? I guess I couldn't have played squash if I wanted to. Um, so I didn't have sort of dependents or vulnerable people around me. So I'm conscious of, of, of that fact. But the second one, that was a... That, I don't yeah. know why that they was took, so They took my bollock off in the second one, so that was pretty bad for me. Yeah, that's bad. I don't know if that happened to you as well. That was a, I don't know if that was part of the second no, lockdown. They I've, told me I've, it was no, just that part didn't of happen. it. They said this is part of it. Can I ask the question that everyone <laughs> yeah. probably asks you? Yeah. Do they put a fake one in? They can, they can but I chose... I, I elected to, to go mono. And what was the thinking behind both of those either either decisions well i did, i couldn't it, there was no question i just i think it's ridiculous when i don't think so, for me it felt it felt ridiculous to, to put one in because you're only doing it for yourself i don't i honestly think if i hadn't told my wife i was having a testicle removed and and hadn't disappeared for a couple of weeks and come back in pain with a big scar on me that she wouldn't have no i don't think she'd have noticed 
I genuinely don't. And in fact, I was talking to someone else last week uh, whose uh, boyfriend uh, only has one who lost his, uh, as a ch- who had his taken off as a child. And he told her beforehand, and she said she wouldn't have noticed if, well, if he guess... hadn't told her. Because I don't, I think, even if you've got them, you can have a little feel down there and think, oh, one of them's just scooted over the other side or something. Yeah, and also, if, if you are, I mean, I, I, this is just a, you know, a broad stroke, but if you are going to get involved, just a, a lightness of touch really is yeah. key. But also, I think if you... You don't want to be pressing hard enough to know how many there are, maybe. No, but also, if you're noticing the balls, that's a sort of insult to the, the main part of the show. I would yes, say, if, if, you you, enjoy if you're the... really going, whoa, what's going on with your balls there, mate? What... Hey! If you enjoy the support bands more than the main <laughs> yeah, act. it is, very much so. You know, no one came away from Wembley in 86 going, God, status quo were good. So you know, It was Queen's Day. I... I felt it was very much just like for your, for your own self-esteem, but I know I've only got one ball, so I've, I would have felt silly having another one. But, but the week after it happened, um, I, when I looked, I kind of saw myself sideways in the mirror from one side, and then I turned the other way, and it was like being in a musical act that I don't think would probably do very well, <laughs> where you, were, you had a little boy's scrotum and a grown man's scrotum. <laughs> oh, hello, Mr. Scrotum. You could have done that. Would, would the music call act be just be called <laughs> Canon? <laughs> it could be. Um, but it settles into the middle, so it's fine. I, and I, Does it really? And I, yeah, and I would, I would honestly, I've said it before many times to this audience. Guys, get one taken off. Get the big one taken <laughs> off. My life is so much, it's a risk because you might get testicular cancer in the other one and then you won't have any balls. You only need one. It's much more comfortable way more comfortable I had quite a bit I had quite a bit it was the big one and it was quite a big one and then it got bigger but that's part of the reason I didn't realise that it got bigger because it was already pretty big so you got rid of the expander yeah I'm guessing I mean obviously the, the, the comedian me like you said do you hope your relationship ends you get a new show but your mind on this topic and this experience it must be hard to you must have so many ideas <laughs> yeah well, I'm How do you gonna... corral them into a sort of a show? Well, I'm doing them into air. I'm going to do them in about five different formats for the <laughs> next year and a half. And then when everyone's sick of it, I'll stop. But uh, then no one Richard Herring, it. having a ball. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's not really... There's been one moment where I feared death and, was, and got a bit self-indulgently weepy. But, but you'd already from... done a show about death. Yeah, yeah. So I have done a show about death. I haven't done a show about balls, and that's why my balls have come after me. That's why they, they, they wanted the attention, and now they're going to get it. Don't neglect the balls, because this will happen. Look, we're going to have to wrap it up, because we've done too long. Oh, I'm sorry. But it's, no, it's good. I'm so I'm sorry. I very much enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been such um, good fun. No, it's always lovely to talk to you, and thank you very much for coming back. And, You're welcome. Uh, it just all the podcasts, the podcasts, the radio show, and then hopefully a new stand-up show. Have you got a, have you got a book coming out? Yes. Yeah. Um, but... Is it a secret? I don't know. Okay. You've really got to know. Hang on. If you've got to, because you've, you've got to write it. There, there will be a book based on one of our podcasts. Oh, okay, great. That's exciting. Or my, or one of my podcasts. <laughs> I hope it's just a book of, of, in which you explain golf shots over and over again. <laughs> then I hit the ball and it went a bit to the left. 
And I thought, I've gone to get hit that with a different club now to get that back. Yeah, but you can make crazy. anything sound bad by doing it in that voice. I just uh, held a microphone and I talked into it and then someone recorded it and put it on the internet. I just put, I just put some different things in a tube and came up with a vaccine and then I put it in, I put it in people's arms and they, some of them didn't like it and some of them did like it. And that one, ah. <laughs> you can reduce anything by doing it in that golf, voice. Golf is not as good as the vaccine for the COVID <laughs> Or is it? Or is I've it? not got COVID yet and I play a lot of golf. I don't want to spread any conspiracy theories, but a 0% of me has had COVID. It's good to be outside. Ladies and gentlemen, give a massive round of applause to the amazing John Robbins. We'll be back next week with David Badil. Badil. See you then. You have been listening to Rahalastapur with me, Rich Terring, and my guest, John Robbins. Thank you to Scant Regard for this beautiful new music. Uh, I'm indebted to my producer, Ben Walker. I'm also indebted to Chris Evans, not that one. Uh, thank you very much to everyone at the Clapham Grand for looking after us so brilliantly in this run. And thank you to everyone who came to see the shows. We couldn't have done it without you. Well, we could. I did it for a year without you, but it wasn't as good. Thank you also to Kathleen McKeegan from Rahalastapa, rahalastapa.com for her fantastic research work on old episodes of this show. Do check it out if you like. This is a Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFasterStripe.com production. Why not visit GoFasterStripe.com slash badges, become a monthly badger, get lots of extras, including the guest names ahead of everyone else. So if you are frustrated that the London shows are sold out before you can buy a ticket, become a monthly badger, you'll get priority access to the guest names and be able to book your tickets before the non-badge scum. It's only £3 a month. You can give more if you want. And you get badges, you get lots of backstage videos and all sorts of other extras and ad-free podcasts if you want. All right, take care. Go away. Don't drink the milk. Don't drink the milk. Don't drink the milk. No, this isn't a podcast about milk. If you like historical intrigue, a bit of culture and a sprinkling of controversy, this one's for you. I'm Rachel Stewart, and I'm travelling around Europe, following the hidden history of everyday things as they're exported through time and around the world, by force, by chance, or by choice. No need to pack your bags. Just subscribe to Don't Drink the Milk wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you very much for listening to my podcasts. Listen to some more. Tell your friends about these podcasts. We're in a very competitive market. It would be lovely to keep those downloads coming in. The more downloads we get, the more money we make and the more podcasts we can make for you. It's a beautiful symbiotic relationship. Come and see me on tour at richardherring.com. But otherwise, just, you know, go outside. Enjoy the spring air. It's beautiful out there. I love you all. Goodbye.